Our quality of work is their quality of life. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hi there. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast that is going to have you breaking bird this week. The Rasafari Podcast. Oh, sometimes I hate myself in these little jokes I come up with. So yeah, uh, this is going to be a really cool, really exciting episode. I am taking y'all to Albuquerque. Get it? Breaking Bad joke. But also, we're going to be talking to Nick Lopez, who was a bird keeper at ABQ Biopark when I went there and we hung out. So break, Breaking Bird? Yeah. No, eh. no, no, guys, please don't leave. No, everyone come back, come back in, come back in. I promise it gets better. The interview is much more serious than my stupid intro. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so it's going to be a really fun, really cool episode. It's nice to have another new facility on the uh, the podcast. Um, this one was an interesting one. So when I went out to California at the beginning of this year, I stopped by the ABQ Biopark. And then again, on my way home, I stopped at ABQ Biopark. And in between those two, Nick reached out to me and said that he'd love to hang out and introduce me to some birds and also, uh, you know, might be interested in being on the podcast. We worked it out. We got it scheduled. We hung out with birds, but Nick was not feeling well and his voice was all but shot. So we weren't actually able to do the interview. Then, of course, I was driving cross country and then hanging out with Miles and went to my next gig and ended up in the hospital. And uh, Nick was getting settled in at his new job and things happened. So it took a long time to record this episode, but we got it done. So you're going to hear a lot of stories about me hanging out with birds and about different animals at ABQ Biopark. And um, they're all in the past tense, which is kind of funny. But uh, there are some really cool stories about some really great birds in this episode. And I am excited to share them with you all. So we will get to that after I remind you to, uh, you know, follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Raw Safari. Uh, make sure you're following at Raw Safari Pod on TikTok if you're not yet. And um, also make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss any episodes in whatever podcast app you are listening in right now. Um, you know, and if you want to leave a rating or review, that'd be cool too. They are always appreciated and they actually help people find this rambly mess that is my intro and then also the actual good interviews that I do after it. So yeah, um, if you can do all of that, I would appreciate it. As this episode is coming out, I am currently uh, sitting at the AZA conference, barring any weirdness having happened um, that prevented me from getting there since I'm now talking about the future. And I can't wait to talk to you all about that experience. And I have to tell you, a lot of people from the world of Raw Safari are going to be there and we're going to be hanging out. And I think it's going to be a really cool, really exciting experience. So I just I cannot wait to go there and it's going to be awesome. Um, and while I'm there listening to other people, I'm going to now let you listen to me talk to Nick Lopez, who you to work at ABQ Biopark, and we're going to talk all about birds, his life, and all that good stuff. Enjoy the interview, y'all. 
Right. So I normally start my interviews by saying, tell me who you are, where you work and what you do there. But we have to tweak this a little bit. So tell me who you are, where you worked when we met and uh, what your job was there. Yeah. So my name is Nick Lopez. Uh, I am formally from the ABQ Biopark. I was a bird keeper there for about a year. Um, and I am now <clears throat> transitioning back to my home zoo down here in El Paso, Texas. So I'll be joining them. Uh, hopefully by the time this is uploaded, I'll already have the hiring process done. But I'll be but joining the elephant team here along with uh, Preswalski horses, Malaysian tapers, and a east-crowned African crane. Okay, cool. So um, how do you go from bird to elephant? Did you just convince them they really needed somebody who was a crane specialist? Uh, <laughs> how, how does that happen? You know, that was a point that I was really going to use in my interview, you know. Um, but <laughs> what it came down to for me, um, so with ABQ Biopark, I was a temp keeper there for their bird department. Um, they were starting to look a little bit more fully staffed where wasn't too sure where I'd end up going it would stay within the biopark, but I wanted to make sure I had a little control over the direction of my career. Um, and I have all my family and everything down here in El Paso. So immediately I started looking back home, see what's open at my hometown zoo and area one, which is this department that I'll be joining that has the elephants, tapers and horses and crane. Um, they're actually one of the most tenured departments at the El Paso zoo. So the way that I got into zookeeping was my mother had worked at the El Paso Zoo years, years back, and she knew all the members of that team. She'd work with them every now and then, and she'd sometimes take me to the zoo. And I still know the members of that team. So oh, wow. when they were telling me like where the openings are going to be if I were to return to El Paso Zoo, and I heard that Area 1 was open. Well, that's a team that I've literally watched grow up as I've grown up. So it kind of was where I was immediately wanting to go to. And uh, during the interview process, I got to meet with the supervisor, Griselda Martinez. And we just kind of, we clicked, even though we had never met before, we had so much in common because of our history. So it didn't really have too much to do with, you know, going from bird keeper to elephant keeper that part i'm still yet to explore and that's gonna be a whole different journey for me <laughs> but um transitioning over to a team with elephants definitely kind of is just history with the zoo that's awesome that's uh that's not something you hear about very often that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty pretty intense what did your mom do at the el paso zoo Oh, she was with administration. So uh, when she would go over to change out the ink or the give them some new printing paper over in the elephant building, you know, she always tells me like the elephants they had right there, would, like reach their trunk out, and try to like <laughs> tap her on the shoulder. She's terrified of a lot of animals. So <laughs> oh, no. that was always funny stories to hear, but she was never fond of it. <laughs> Did she ever think of maybe not working at a zoo if she's afraid of animals? <laughs> she thought about that eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's genuinely one of the funniest things I've heard on here. That's I'm so afraid of animals. I work at a zoo. <laughs> I love that. Um, very cool. And so um, for people who are listening and who don't know this, um, ABQ Biopark is, is kind of a weird zoo name, but uh, ABQ is Albuquerque. Um, yeah. 
And I know that's like the airport code and such there. And that's they kind of therapy. I've, I've watched enough Breaking Bad to know that ABQ equals Albuquerque. But there you know, we go. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's be honest. The day that I visited Albuquerque the first time, which was not the day that mm-hmm. we met, uh, I did the zoo and then immediately went and hit up every Breaking Bad location that I could because I am that nerd. Um, oh, that was me exactly when I moved there. I was just going to ask. I was like, did you eat at Twisters, which, you know, is Los Pollos Hermanos on the on the show or? <laughs> I never got the chance to eat at the Twisters that is Los Boys Hermanos. I definitely tried Twisters. I mean, everybody raves about it there. Fair. But in my starting interview for Albuquerque, they asked, why do you want to come to Albuquerque? And I was like, well, honestly, you know, at the very end, I said, deep down, I am a huge Breaking Bad fan. <laughs> and I think it would be so cool to live there. And That's they laugh. Awesome. They love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. In the latest episodes of Better Call Saul, and I think I can say this because by the time this drops, this will not be like new spoilers, but um, they they go back to some of the locations, including um, Twisters and to the, the hotel where Wendy works in Breaking Bad. And again, I was there. I went to that spot and I was just like, ah, this is so much cooler now that I've been there. So, <laughs> um, and for those listening, I know you can't see this, but I did full on like Muppet arms when I said that because that. <laughs> That's, that's how exciting this is. Um, but do you know why ABQ Biopark is called ABQ Biopark? It's such a unique zoo name. All right, we'll be back after this quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Everyone calls Albuquerque ABQ just because Albuquerque is a mouthful, you know, so make that shorter just by saying ABQ. And then for the biopark, it's incorporating four different sections. So the biopark has a logo that has a giraffe, a starfish, a plant, and I want to say, I'm totally forgetting the last one. It's time for Interrupting. 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 Interrupting John. The fourth thing on the logo is actually the blue meth from uh, Breaking Bad. I was surprised. Oh, no, wait, wait. I'm making this up. It's actually um, a river. I'm going to go with the Rio Grande because that is where they have their beach thing and also because it's Albuquerque. But yeah, it's a river. Anyway, back to the interview. So uh, the point is that they have the zoo. They have a botanic gardens. They have an aquarium. And they have a uh, small, like, society-based beach out by the Rio Grande, which is where the entire biopark runs through. So that is all managed under the ABQ biopark. So, yeah, we have our zoo. We're our own separate entity. But at the same time, we're able to uh, stay for our animals when we need to get browse or enrichment for some of our leaf eaters. We just go down to the botanical garden, chop a few trees, and... They take care of those trees so well that it's some of the best browse that you could get locally for miles. So we all work under the same tent, and that's why they're called the Biopark. That's so cool. I love that. Did you ever like accidentally go and get some weird, rare, 
you know, plant that you used as brows and then got in trouble for it? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, no, that would, I would die of embarrassment. <laughs> no, so they go like, there's only six of these left in that. And then the zoo crew comes in and they're like, um, five of these left in the world. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> That would be so bad. So no, bad. thankfully none of us have. We have a cottonwood gallery that stretches for miles that we just take from constantly, and it's almost like nothing's ever missing. That's amazing. Very cool. You would not think of uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, as a great place to have a botanical gardens, but uh, there you go. Um, oh, it's phenomenal there. It's so the cool. weather is always twenty degrees under El Paso, and I'm always going to miss that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, so I, I'm curious, when you first got to Albuquerque, what did you think of not even the facility, but the town itself? It's such a different place than anywhere I've been, and I've been everywhere. So for me, it was a lot like a greener El Paso. It has a lot of its uh, Hispanic heritage there, while also being sort of a new world America. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me it, stood out to my family when I was telling them I'm moving to Albuquerque on a whim. Um, they were saying, well, that's the most dangerous city in America. And I didn't believe it at first. And I looked up the stats and back when I moved, there was middle of the pandemic 2020. And it was considered at the time, the most dangerous city in America. I was like, okay, well, this will be interesting. I chose the heart of downtown to live there. So this is definitely going to involve some crime in my life now. You know, not that I'd be doing the crime, but I'm probably going to see some really questionable stuff. No, absolutely. There. I know what you mean. That's really funny, though. <laughs> but when you get there, it's kind of, yeah, there's going to be things that you see that you're not going to be used to in your hometown. But Albuquerque in general, they're just a lot more progressive towards what I would say a lot of cities need to be. Uh, greener environment, a lot more recyclable uh, needs and causes. And just overall, they're there for their people. So even though they struggled with crime right when I moved there, of course, I saw some stuff. The real big thing that I got from Albuquerque was just it's so much of a healthier place than you would expect it to be. Being in the middle of the southwest in New Mexico, the Rio Grande running through that city just brings life to it. That's awesome. I love that so much. Very cool. Um, yeah, Albuquerque has been an interesting place. So New Mexico was a, a state. It was the last of the 48 states, um, you know, not counting Alaska and Hawaii, that um, mm -hmm. I got to actually gig in. Uh, I've, I've been playing all around the country, you know, for years. And I finally got there. Now I've been to, uh, well, to um, yeah, a couple different places. Um, I think I've been in New Mexico three or four times now. But it was the state that eluded me the longest. And so it was pretty exciting to to finally get there and, and close that whole contiguous 48 thing. Um, but yeah, it's cool to hear that it's so progressive because I always kind of wondered if maybe – and I know you're not talking about the whole state. You're talking about Albuquerque. But I always wondered if the reason that I had a hard time getting there with like theater shows and stuff was because it wasn't that. But uh, apparently I just had a bad schedule for a while. But we got there in the end, so <laughs> that's okay. Um, but yeah, so let's let's talk about the biopark. And, and so for those listening um, – you know, Nick reached out to me on Insta after I was at the biopark the first time and was like, hey, man, would have loved to have met you. Wish I knew you were coming, whatever. And I was like, hey, I'll be back in like six weeks. And so we set it up mm -hmm. and um, 
Nick was very gracious and took me to to meet and hang out with some of these amazing birds that he got to take care of. And it was a really fun time, uh, despite the fact that I got super lost and could not find Nick for <laughs> 20 minutes. And finally, he had to be like, John, just stop moving. I will come to you. Um, so sorry about that. But why don't we start by you telling people about some of the birds that we got to meet and hang out with and, and kind of how that went? Yeah. So one that I remember off the top of my head is the best ambassador animal I think I will ever be. And that the Albuquerque Biopark, every single keeper, staff, every guest, she's beloved. So it's Maybelline, our Abyssinian ground hornbill. Yes. Um, She is the heart and soul of that zoo, I swear. The best behaved and loves people. I mean, we have her in our vulture exhibit in our Africa section. And so we got to see her. I believe she was on display that day. Um, So she loves to hang out over by this nice medium-sized tree that's across from the bridge that guests can walk through the aviary on. And once she sees a guest that's at the right spot, there's this little wall hop that she does. And she can be so close to the guest. It's alarming for us keepers because we're like, oh, gosh, (laughs) she's going to get a finger one of these days or get a shin. But she just loves being around people. And when you're with her from a keeper perspective, you could sit down with her. You could pet her on the neck, pet her on the back of her head. Uh, she loves back scratches. She is an incredible bird. And some yeah, of the other we got, birds. We got to do some of that too. Cause she was, we put her out on exhibit after we were done with her. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was, that was my first time actually getting to be hands-on with a hornbill. And that was just ridiculous. So cool. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Uh, I can't say enough good words about her. I mean, she's going to be the one that I miss every single time. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, and, you know, talking about that vulture exhibit. So it's really cool for the people that are listening. Um, it's this this really big enclosure that that, as Nick says, has a bridge going over it. And the um, you get to walk on that bridge and it's it's protected, but you, you, you can look down and also the birds can get up like right onto the bridge. You can be mm-hmm. inches from the vultures and stuff. And um, I think some people were fascinated. I think some people were intimidated, but uh, <laughs> it's really cool when the vultures get right up there and start hanging out. And, um, you know, I thought that was just really special and unique there. Yes. One thing about that bridge, you know, you'll either get the really fascinated people that are loving it, or you're going to get those people immediately that are like, there's a vulture butt right above me and I am in the poop pass and I need to get off this bridge right away. It's also one of those shaky bridges. So people that haven't been on many bridges in their life are terrified of that thing. But when you're on there and the vultures are right above you, they love looking down at those people and just like examining them, trying to find out why is your baby carriage pink? You know, things like that. Um, but the vultures on there that love to hang out are Cape Griffin vultures. Uh, so the biopark has four of those guys. And I believe it's uh, two breeding pairs. But one of those pairs is a little too young to be breeding right now. So they're kind of just watching the parents do their thing. Um, and then we also have our three lappet faced vultures, which are fascinating. I mean, those are some of the biggest birds I will ever see in my lifetime. Yes. And those guys are full of energy, sometimes a little too much energy, to be honest. You know, they, they can be a headache on certain days, but that exhibit is just one of my favorites I've ever seen because they have such a large range that they could fly on. There's so many different perches, there's nest platforms and everything. And it really gives the guests a chance to see vultures in the wild because 
all the accommodations that the biopark has for that exhibit. Yeah, it's really amazing. And I am curious, you're, you're not kidding. I mean, you're right under bird butts when you're on that bridge. So <laughs> how often, because you even warned me at one point that you were like, this one's about to go, you should move because I was I was under a bird butt and you stopped me from having my own poop story. Um, which, thank you. <laughs> but um, I'm curious, like how often would people get pooped on and would they complain about it? And would you hear about it or, you know? So before zookeeping at the biopark, I was doing a position called ranger. And it's kind of like you tour the biopark, you help out guests, give them directions, a new sort of security to some extent. And there was at least two times while I was rangering where I would be in the Africa section and a guest would come up to me and say, oh, one of your vultures just pooped on my daughter. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, that's terrible. Let me get you to a restroom right away. And they eat, you know, they eat meat, they eat rodents, they eat rabbits. It's not going to be a nice smell and poop. It's not something you could just walk off and wipe off. It's going to leave a scent and it's that poor kid. I feel sorry for each and every one of them. But yes, there's definitely been times, thankfully not when I was a keeper, because I feel like there's a little more responsibility on you when your animal does right. a doo-doo on a guest. <laughs> um, so thankfully only as a ranger did I encounter that. But there's definitely not a guest that's happy when that happens. That's so funny. My, uh, my grandmother always told me that if a bird poops on you, it's good luck. And, uh, notoriously one time a seagull pooped on me when we were in Atlantic city and she wouldn't let me wash it off because, uh, you know, it was going to bring good luck as we hit the slot machines. So, um, <laughs> I think, I think she might've disagreed if it was vulture poop, however. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she would have. Yeah. She would have smelled it and said, you need to go get a shower right now. <laughs> that seems fair. That seems fair. Um, and so you were, you were talking about the different types of vultures in there and you said that you're, is it the lappet faced that have, um, a lot of energy? You were saying? Yeah. So our lappets are the ones, ironically, they'll always stick to the ground. I don't think I ever saw them perched up and they do have the capability to fly, but they're just such massive birds. It's almost hindering for them to fly at times. Um, so they'll just glide across the exhibit when they're trying to get away from one another. But we have two males in there and one female. The female's really young. She's still learning her place there. And our two males have been with each other long enough to form their own version of a partnership. So during this past breeding season for those guys, the two males built a nest and, uh, you know, there was never an egg in there, but we got a donation of boomer balls from our biopark society. And they took those boomer balls and they rolled it all the way as close as they could to the nest. And they would guard those boomer balls with their life. So they immediately <laughs> adopted them as an egg. And our female was not allowed on that side by them. Like if they <laughs> saw her over there, they were like, she's trying to take our egg or mess with our nest. Poor thing always had to fly to the other side whenever she wanted something. And when the when the vultures are defending their territory, it's intimidating because I got to see that. And like describe to yes. the listeners what they do. So they kind of go at each other with their talons at times. Um, they'll pretty much fly as close as they can try to intimidate each other. And uh, from what I witnessed, I don't know the specifics of this, but Crash, our largest lapid vulture down at the biopark, up at the biopark, I should say, <laughs> um, he will stand as tall as he can and give you a nasty side eye when he's feeling like you're questioning his authority. He completely skips that stage when he's feeling territorial. So he just goes straight in with the talons and they have to defend each other like that. Quite often, we do get guests that are like, oh, they're trying to kill each other. You know, it, it looks bad. If I interrupt it, it's not going to solve too much right now. Trust me, we know what's happening. But 
you don't want to interrupt a vulture's chain of command. It's kind of like an alpha dog mentality with everyone having their place and needing to learn that. And if you overstep that boundary, you're going to be taught why there's that boundary. Yeah, makes sense. And it's it's they're they such big birds that when they spread out like that, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's something to see because they do. They like they puff up their wings as part of all of that. And it's. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's yeah. like an eight foot wingspan. I mean, it'll take up the entire viewing point that you're looking at. And I know that the two the two guys will stand next to each other and do it to defend certain territory. So suddenly mm-hmm. you've got like this, just these two huge bodies almost melded together into this one like just very scary, very intimidating uh, thing. It's, it's really cool to see. Exactly. Yeah, it's awesome to see. Uh, kind of scary at first, but definitely like you, you don't get to see that from many birds right and so being able to see it in the scale size that those vultures are it's kind of phenomenal well and the the fun part of um this story if if i remember correctly is that uh you mentioned that the females there on a breeding wreck right so the the ssp didn't realize how um in love the two boys were and and sent a girlfriend (laughs) hoping that one of them would fall in love is is that correct yeah so there was uh some plans for there to only be the one female and the and the one male. Um, but with COVID, with winter storms, a lot of things get messed up a lot of time when you're trying to move an animal in and out of the suit. So things fell through and we had to keep our two males and our one female. And, you know, like I said, they have their own bond. When the one male that's with the breeding wreck for the female is alone with her, they do completely fine. So the biopark has a breeding pair in those guys guaranteed. I, I could, I could put it in stone right now. They will lay an egg one day. But for the time being with the two males in there, it just seems like, you know, there's a bros before birds type of thing. going. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, And so uh, actually, you know what? Let's pause on the birds because we've already had so much great animal content. Um, Sure. And let's let's talk about you for a little bit. So you gave us a little bit of a history of um, going to the El Paso Zoo when you were young. But like. What made you want to get into keeping and what was your path to getting into it? So my path is more of just the most crooked road you've ever seen. So I had started right after high school going into the business field. So I went to college for entrepreneurship and it didn't take me too long to realize that I did not want to be a part of that long term. So like most teenagers, I went into the fast food industry just to make a paycheck for a while. And I went to the zoo here for a uh, anniversary with someone that I was with at the time. And while we were going around the zoo, I just realized like, I am way more into this than anyone else I'm looking at right now. Like the entire guests that are here at the zoo, <laughs> they, you know, they're, they're passing by their exhibits. Like your interview with Mara, they were doing the seven second intervals and yep. moving on to the next one. <laughs> I was it looking drive at- you crazy. <laughs> I can't believe it. And I get it to some extent. If you can't find the animal and you don't have the observation skills, yeah, maybe move on to the next one. But for me, I was like, I can't find this animal. Where is it? I'm staying here for a half hour until I see this thing. Exactly. Um, so when I realized when I realized I'm loving the zoo and I want to be here more often, I moved from 
my time with the fast food industry where I was already managing uh, a Whataburger at the time, which in Texas, you know, that's a big deal. I mean, you were yeah. probably like practically a celebrity at that point. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, you really are here in Texas when you manage a Whataburger. <laughs> are, are you even, are you even from Texas? If you haven't at some point told somebody, look, Whataburger is just way better than in and out. I don't care what anybody says. You don't get to say in and out in Texas. <laughs> I mean, that'll start opinions on their own. Fair, fair. (laughs) (laughs) So I moved from Whataburger management over to SSA, which is what most zoos have contracted under them for their food industry. So any restaurant you go to, it's probably SSA at a zoo or aquarium. And I became a manager or a supervisor there for a little bit and used that to transition into becoming a volunteer with the El Paso Zoo. And then as time progressed, I started moving into different industries of the zoo. So I went to guest services, I went to rides and attractions, and I was able to shout out to Normandy Crone over at the Georgia Aquarium. She was with me at the El Paso Zoo at the time, and I was volunteering for her area. And she introduced me to this organization called AZAC, which most zoos have. Uh, it's pretty much a professional development for zookeepers. They do a lot of fundraising, they do a lot of awareness. And I got to become part of that. And at the time, once I realized I want to be everything involved with animals, I sunk myself completely into AZAC and took all of my experience from managing, all my experience from you know public speaking and everything I could, focused it on AZAC and became their social media manager and secretary. Nice. And so I got to become a really big part of the El Paso Zoo's awareness. Um, so through that, that was pretty much what exposed me completely to the zoo field. Um, with the volunteering as well, I was able to gain enough experience to be asked to be a temporary zookeeper right before COVID hit. Because once COVID hit, a lot of zoos didn't know how to handle it. So they would split up their teams completely like, hey, you're not seeing like this half of the team for however long this lasts. You guys are completely separated. And so I got to be a part of one side of those teams for the area I was volunteering. And from there, you know, once COVID got into its full bit, they started laying off people. I was furloughed by the city and I decided that's when I was going to head to the biopark. So born and raised in Texas, did as much as I could to get into the animal field here at El Paso through the El Paso Zoo. And yeah, that that's when I had headed over to the biopark because they were handling COVID a little bit better than El Paso was. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, I, I, that's a really uncommon story to, to kind of have worked your way into it that way. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I definitely, every guest that's ever asked me, how'd you get your job? I tell them, you know, the hard way and they yeah. ask, well, how do you get your job? And I'm like, go to school and get a biology degree. So much easier. I mean, I have been scratching and clawing for a few years and I, I feel like I'm pretty well established in here now, but those first two years were rough and <laughs> you should definitely go and do it the more proper way. If you're looking to become a part of this field. No, that makes sense. But it, it is good that you were able to, and it's nice to know for, for people that maybe can't do a biology degree right now or whatever, but want to, to switch in that there, there is a path. It might be a, a tough path and it might be a long path and a windy path, but, um, you know, it's okay to take the long and winding road every once in a while. Uh, Paul McCartney said so, and I agree with him. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. If you're that not actually able is to, really cool. I do love that message. Yeah, thank you. And if you're not able to, you know, get a biology degree, or if you can't afford college, like, go and volunteer. Look at what's around you in your society. 
rehabilitation centers, all of that stuff. When you're able to help out like that, people will notice you over time. Absolutely. Very, very cool. I love that. Um, awesome. So let's get back to the birds. Because uh, <laughs> okay. I just I want to talk more about the birds. Um, but I do. I really love your story. It's really cool and unique. Um, Thank you. I, I talk to so many keepers on here and it's it's never that. So that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's let's talk about my favorite birds that we hung out with. Because okay, sure. I am absolutely in love with Corvids. So, oh yeah. Take it away. <laughs> so we had Lucian and Sonia. Those are the uh, white neck ravens over at the bio park, and they uh, they're not an exhibit at this time, um, specifically at this time because baby and influenza. But <laughs> at the time that we were able to visit, they were not exhibit. They had uh, just got moved over to our Africa section, which are where white neck ravens are from. But those guys have a history. I never got to be a part of that history when I was with the bio park, but when they were on exhibit, they were in our Saddleville stored yard, which is a pretty decent sized yard with a uh, large meshing and they are mischievous Ravens as most Ravens are. So when guests would get too close to the mesh, the storks don't really care. I mean, they don't want much to do with humans. The Ravens on the other hand would find the perfect spot to just chill out on that mesh. The second a finger gets anywhere close, it's nipping time. So oh, man. they had to be moved off to a uh, non-exhibit holding area while the Saddleville Storkyard is in plans to be remeshed one day. And then hopefully <laughs> the biopark will move them back out onto exhibit, or do something with them. But uh, yeah, those guys are a ton of fun and they're incredible mimics. I don't remember how much we got to hear when we were with them, but I mean, Lucian specifically knows how to do the widest range of sounds that I've ever heard. I mean, he can, uh, I, I, I may be a little out of practice, but he does cooing. He does uh, sort of like this humming with his throat where he goes, oh, oh. And he does that to get your attention. Once he's got your attention, he'll start going like, wow. It's just really loud. It echoes for a good amount of time. You can hear him all the way from the other side of the zoo at times. Um, and then Sonia as well, she knows how to say hello. She knows how to, really get your attention in a more quiet way. Solution is the star of the show and he likes to be that way. <laughs> yeah. Sonia was the one who seemed more interested in interacting with me that day. I remember that, that, that Lucian was a little, little standoffish, but Sonia was like, Oh, what up, dude? How we doing? And, and did yeah, Sonia is amazing. Yeah. I love her so much. I mean, she is just an open spirit type of bird. And Lucian is, you know, it was very unlike him to be that shy, but of course, you know, stranger danger type of thing. Um, but he's definitely the one that will usually get all the attention from you. The second you bring enrichment in, if you're his keeper for the day, I mean, he goes straight for that enrichment before it's even out of your arms sometimes. So before you can leave the area, he's already figured out the enrichment too. So yeah, Corvid's so smart. brilliant birds. So smart. Crazy brilliant. It. And, um, and we got to feed them. Well, I got to feed them a little bit. It was kind of your job, but, um, and do, do you remember what we were doing with the, with the toss and everything? That was so cool. Yes. Yeah, so they're incredible, um, at catching their mice in mid air. So every morning that I was ever able to feed them, I would save two mice for the afternoon. They got about like eight mice a day, um, along with other things in their food, but we would grab their mice, toss them straight up and they would catch it almost so fast that you don't even see them try to catch it. it is incredible and then they you know 
go and eat the mouse and guts would be everywhere. You'd kind of <laughs> stay out of the line of fire at that point. But then in the afternoon, I'd come back, I'd close them up, I'd make sure they have you know fresh water, clean up their area. And then at the very end, they're watching. And if I was about to skip it, they would start doing their little alarm calls or the, oh, oh, oh. and then you pull out the mice and they go both to their own separate branch. You toss a mouse up and they once again, catch it so fast. You don't even get to see them try. And then you got to get out of there because Sonia especially loves to throw things around. She's so, <laughs> there's a few times where I'd be getting home and there's a little red thing on my shoulder. And I'm like, Oh, that's definitely from a mouse. I do remember very distinctly, you know, it's funny when I get to have these experiences, um, you know, keepers will give me instructions and it's, it's usually pretty basic. It's usually like, don't put your finger in the carnivore's mouth and we're good. But, um, I do remember <laughs> that you were like, all right, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to throw it. And, um, here's how you have to throw it. You have to throw it like this. This is the angle. Watch very carefully or you will miss it and then get the heck out of there or you will get like disgusting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is there is a lot here. <laughs> and then my other one of my favorite experiences ever as a non keeper just like is whenever I'm getting an experience like this, we were you were literally going to shove the mouse in my hand and then you're like, oh, you're OK, like holding a, a dead mouse. Right. And I am. I always mm-hmm. am. But keepers <laughs> always forget that non keepers don't normally have that experience. Now, with the podcast, I have so many times and like I have a pet snake and stuff. It's totally, totally fine. But you know, they'll be like, I've had keepers go to like shove an insect in my hand. And after they put it there, be like, oh, you're, you're okay holding a cricket. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, yes. But also if I wasn't, geez, you just really, okay. But it's exactly, amazing how yeah. desensitized to it y'all are. Oh, and it's, it's so weird at first because when I first started as a zookeeper or even as a volunteer with the El Paso Zoo, you know, handling an Ibis diet, which is a ton of fish, like, mealworms crickets and then all all ibis diets have like some dark powder on top of it that makes it look even more nasty than it already sounds right so when i'm chopping up those fish i was like okay this isn't so bad go out there you fill up an ibis diet with water and then you put it down so the ibis can dunk their food you know be waterfowl um and it just gets even more nastier and so for my first few months working in the uh, America Saviour here at the El Paso Zoo, it's like, okay, I could deal with bird seeds, you know, small cut of fruit, all of that. Second, I get to that Ibis diet. I'm like zoned out. I'm like, this is disgusting. And now I look at myself and I'm like, all right, chop up this full trout, tear this rabbit leg off for the eagle. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm raw, raw meat, just bare hand handling it. Cutting up a guinea pig and whatnot. I'm so desensitized to this now. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, I didn't know. I know that like, you know, keepers have to do a lot of cutting, but oh, the guinea pig one hurts because like guinea pigs are like pets. I know that rabbits are too, but they're also... It. it, I don't know why. This is the dumbest thing about me, but it's, it's true. But, you know... I'm not a vegetarian and I, you know, chicken, I have met so many amazing chickens and turkeys at zoos. I've met ambassador turkeys and played with them. And then it's Thanksgiving and I'm like, yo, give me some breast. Let's go. But like (laughs) when you talk about a non-food animal that is also very sweet, like a guinea pig and you say like, oh, chop it up. I'm like, oh, that's, oh, that's horrible. But it's, (laughs) it's not really any different than, than a turkey. I've literally played with both species, mm. but for some reason I have turkey in my fridge right now, but because I don't have guinea pig, I'm like, ew. <laughs> I think every keeper anywhere would say they wish we didn't have to chop up guinea pig. Anyone that has to, I mean, 
that's the worst smell that you could get from any animal. And I don't know what it is about guinea pigs. I don't know their anatomy too well, but it feels like a third of their body is just poop when you chop <laughs> them up because you chop it up and there's just like a clump of it. That's the whole size of the guinea pig rear end. <laughs> yeah, they're... <laughs> They're not something I like chopping up either. You know, I'll take the rabbit three times a day over a single guinea pig. That's that's really interesting, though. Learn learn something new on every episode. That's that's. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then while we were there, there was also a um, I don't know, a grouchy, uh, a salty bird, if you want to say that. Uh, that that you know, I thought you might want to share about because that was still that was really cool to 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 see, but uh, you know, had to be a little careful and stand back and and all of that. Right. So you're talking about Click. He is our uh, he's the Bioparks Marabou Stork. Yes. And he uh, he definitely has an attitude sometimes. So he's not the friendliest bird unless your name is Amanda. So uh, shout out to Amanda Baca. She's his. Uh, his everything really at the biopark. <laughs> I mean, that bird is in love with her and she can control his emotions in the best way. She's incredible with him, but there's a lot of keepers that are not able to work with him on a hands-on way. We have to go in with protection and some of them, even with the protection, he will try his absolute hardest to get them and nick them or bite them. And, you know, he's a pretty large bird. I don't, I don't think I've seen many wingspans as big as his, to be honest. Um, so when we were interacting with the birds, he's sort of in a, a an offside holding because him and Maybelline, Maybelline is full of love. I always like to describe these two as Maybelline's full of love and Click is full of hatred 99% so of the time. <laughs> So they do not interact well together. So we have to have one on exhibit and one gets to enjoy their own private island for the day. And so on that day, Click was on his own private island. And even when he's on his own private island, he knows when you're walking by, he'll stick his beak out through the mesh. And he gets like two feet of his beak out through the mesh and is trying to like get you with this, you know, it's a beak designed to stab fish in the river and just pluck them right out. So he could get you and it could be pretty bad when he does. So, yeah, I had to tell you while we were walking through there, you know, stay on this side of the wall. And it's not like vulture poop is going to land on you. It's a whole different story. It's we have a very aggressive stork that might try and stab you while we're walking through here. Which weirdly uh, to me just makes me more excited to walk through. But, you know, that's just, <laughs> there's just something wrong with me sometimes. <laughs> no, I mean, it's interesting to see every time. uh me and him had a pretty well relationship, me and Click. So I didn't get too much of that aggression through my time there. But I remember when I started there, there was another keeper that uh, had a really pretty decent relationship with him. And we came up with this theory. He can only love two people at once. Because once I got there and he was friendly with me, all of a sudden that keeper got terrible treatment from him. I mean, <laughs> he was trying to stab her on a daily basis from there. And then when I was towards my end of that time with the biopark, you know, we were bringing in new staff and they were getting trained in that area to take care of Click and Maybelline and all the other birds. And he grew really fond of one of them. And all of a sudden I was getting more aggression from Click. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I've been kicked out of the two circle. Now it's just Amanda and the new keepers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really interesting. He was, uh, what an amazing bird to see though. Like just oh, yeah. huge and scary and awesome all at once 
I don't know if I'm 100% accurate with it. I think it's called the doomsday bird in Africa by some people. Nice. Because when you see it, it just means bad luck. So the opposite of getting bird poop on you is <laughs> seeing a marabou stork, I guess. <laughs> fair, fair. Good thing we don't have many of those in Atlantic City or my, my grandmother would not have handled that well. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So um, now that you have left, I'm curious. Um do you miss them? Because you really, like, you had relationships with those birds. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so yesterday was actually my uh, 25th birthday. And so a Happy lot of... Birthday. the Thank you. So a lot of the keepers from the biopark reached out. Uh, they're wishing me happy birthday. And they're updating me on how the birds that I was closest with there are. And, you know, through this avian influenza that's going on, birds in zoos are very rarely if ever getting access to the outdoors right now unless it's a very covered area because the avian influenza can spread like it's nothing if a small little sparrow can get into an exhibit so they're working really hard with uh enriching these animals 10 times more than they would every single day to make sure that these animals aren't bored to death living in a smaller space for the time being for their protection um so i was speaking to uh one of the newer keepers in the area about some birds that was very well established relationship wise with and talking about their favorite enrichment. And it just, you know, it brings back all those memories. So the pair I'm talking about are the military macaws over at the biopark and they were wild caught and confiscated from, I believe us fish and wildlife as they were being smuggled into the States. So we gave them their forever home and they don't really trust humans. I mean, can you blame them? You know, so, not at all. Exactly. So I was spending a lot of time with them because I don't know what's wrong with me, but I like the birds that are going to challenge me a lot more to make me earn their trust. And by the end of it all, I felt like I did earn these guys' trust. And thinking back to, you know, the relationship I built with them and now having to leave that, it's hard, but I'm also learning that it's something that you do a lot in the zoo field. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, obviously that is what the job is. That's a part of it. And you're going to move and that kind of stuff. I just, and and so will the animals because of the SSPs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last, you know, now almost two years of doing this podcast, I don't think that I've had anything that hit me harder or shocked me more than the realization of how much, you know, you, you have to move on and you fall in love with these animals and then you, you move to a different zoo or they move to a different zoo or, or they die of old age or not. And, um, I, you know, I understand why compassion fatigue is such a thing in the, the field. Um, I always like to say, you know, I know I don't have the relationships that, that y'all do with your animals, but by getting to go and meet so many animals and sometimes spending, you know, multiple days, even weeks, some of the zoos where I have really close connections, I, I know some of the red pandas really well. They're almost like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a friend's pet or something. And then they get a, a breeding wreck or, or they pass away and I'm just sitting at home like, crying about a red panda in in Columbus or a binturong in Cincinnati or like and and I'm only spending a little bit of time with these animals. I can't imagine how tough it is, you know, for y'all. Um did did that play into like your thoughts at all when you were thinking about trying to find a new job and everything? Absolutely. Um one thought that I had majorly when I was thinking about, you know, going somewhere that wasn't going to be the bird crew at the biopark is uh 
that I was able to work with my favorite bird species, favorite animal species of all time at the biopark, the uh, Bali starlings. And I was getting to build training plans for the ones that we have at the biopark. That's pretty much my dream is to retire and work with Bali starlings until the day I pass. Nice. So getting to do that at the biopark was a dream come true at a very young age. And thinking about that when I was thinking, do I leave the biopark? Do I find somewhere that's going to be a little more suitable for me than middle of nowhere where I have no family? Right. Um, yeah, that was one of the hardest thoughts was accepting that this is probably going to have to be the sacrifice that I make if I want to go back home with my family or if I wanted to move on to another zoo for a better opportunity for my career, then that's always going to be a sacrifice that we have to make. And I've seen so many keepers do that. Uh, the team that I worked with originally at the El Paso Zoo, one of my favorite groups of people I think I'll ever meet in my entire lifetime. They worked so well together, but a lot of them have moved on to something that suits their passion a little more. And it kind of set the example in my mind. Like, If you really want this dream to come true, then you're going to have to sacrifice some things like the relationships with these animals. But the best part is, most of the time you're able to go and visit that animal again. If you visit home, you know, I, lucky me, the biopark's only four hours away from me still. So it's a quick drive where I could go fit, visit my Bali starlings or the military macaws up there, but not being able to see them every day. There, there's been withdrawals since I've already moved back to El Paso. I guess that's what a photo album and a phone is for nowadays, right? <laughs> fair, very fair. Um, do you, you know, you mentioned enrichment and I remember that you were really interested in enrichment stuff, um, you know, and you were just like, you were experimenting with some of the birds and mirrors and stuff while I was there. Where do you come up with all of that? And, and how are you able to track your success with it and everything? So enrichment was something that I really focused on during my time with the El Paso Zoo, volunteering at the aviary. Um, so I was really lucky that the team that was there provided me with the time to just kind of focus even like three hours a day on enrichment because there were so many birds in our aviary. They all needed something. And El Paso has a huge focus on enrichment there. So it kind of was something that was installed in me from the moment that I started joining this field. But one thing that I look at now is okay, what is this bird's approved enrichment or what is this animal's approved enrichment? And what's something that it's never experienced before because enrichment is supposed to be something new every day. Um, so like what you're referencing is the mirrors that we gave to our blue faced honey eaters. Um, that was their first time with a full size mirror to my knowledge. And also with the kookaburra that was in exhibit with them, they had a really interesting interaction. I mean, they went straight up to the mesh and started like trying to find a way and knock this thing down because they're <laughs> they might as well be corvids they're just as mischievous <laughs> um but the, it, it's so much fun seeing the animals different interactions with things uh when i first got to the biopark and when i first was uh signed off to work in the africa section one sort of enrichment that probably grossed a lot of my fellow co-workers out was i was like wait a second these are african birds we have hippos and warthogs right next to them what if we brought some warthog or hippo poop, which is, you know, completely vegetarian, they're eating their wheats and grains, put it in with the birds, see how they interact with it. They loved it. I mean, they, <laughs> they were going crazy with it. They're picking it apart, eyeballing it, sitting right next to it. Not, not a per 
not a personal favorite and uh, definitely not a favorite for my coworkers because they would clean up afterwards. But it's things like that. Like they, they'd encounter that out in the wild, you know, but because in a zoo, you can't have you know, the hippo right next to the vultures. Like physically you can have it, but there's going to be mesh gates in between. Right. They don't get to witness like a hippo poop on a daily basis. So just a new experience for animals has always been something that I find real fun, especially ones that uh, are having to be ambassador animals because, you know, their life isn't full of new exposures every day sometimes. And so you kind of want to bring that to them because one of my favorite quotes is our quality of work is their quality of life. So as long as you're putting all your effort in to bring something new to their day, then you're going to be improving their day right away. I love that. And does it ever, um, for lack of a better word, like, ah, I don't want to say mess with your head, but are you ever like, you know, out with your friends or like on a date or whatever. And like, you're at the mall and you see a thing and you're like, Ooh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh my gosh. Could my birds mess with this? Would they, you know, <laughs> does it like infiltrate Absolutely. your non life? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a zookeeper at the bio park who she's phenomenal and she's constantly looking for things out on the daily basis that are going to enrich the animals and uh, not going to put her name out there. But um, <laughs> the reason for that is when she's off the job, she will still look for things. And if they're a bargain buck type of deal, she'll buy it and then find a way to get it fixed up. So where the animals can have it for fun. Uh, and so that, that's kind of something that I'm trying not to pick up that habit because a lot of city employed areas don't want you spending your own money for something used on city property. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, where am I going to get a Lego set from the city versus I could buy this one right now for $2 and my parents will tear it apart tomorrow in about 20 seconds, have the time of their life, you know? <laughs> oh, I love that so much. That's really cool. <laughs> um cool are there any other birds or anything else that you wanted to say about abq biopark yeah absolutely um so i already talked a little about the bali starlings and uh, i'll probably bring them up like six or seven more times throughout the rest of this but uh the bali starlings that are at the biopark if you're ever at the abq biopark go to birds at the islands wait there for a little bit and listen to the song of those birds i mean it's phenomenal and it's something that I think everyone should go see so they could fall in love with that bird. And on top of that, uh, the biopark is one of the rare places where you could go see a stellar sea eagle. Yes. Yeah. So shout out to Ashley Bauer. She's one of the senior keepers of the bird department and our stellar sea eagle pair that we have there has been with her at not only the biopark, but I believe two other facilities. So she's kind of been with them their whole life. That's amazing. It is. And I, I hope one day I can get a relationship like that with some of my birds because it's almost like she's moved with them everywhere that they've gone. And that's freaking awesome. But she's also the master of them. Like she can tell their attitude better than anyone. I remember when I was first getting trained in there, um, we started feeding them for the first time on a Monday because usually they have a fast day since birds in the wild, birds of prey in the wild aren't going to be able to find a meal every day they're usually going to have a fast day themselves. So to mimic that Mondays were their fast days for our stellar sea eagles. And it was during their breeding season. So we started feeding them on a fast day. So they didn't have to uh, exert too much energy outside of just taking care of their eggs. 
And the female stellar came right down to ground level and was giving us these really loud calls and like super excited. I had no idea she was excited. I thought that was going to be it. I was like ready to say my prayers, call my mom, <laughs> tell her I love her. And that was going to be it for me because they're massive birds and they have some serious talents. Oh yeah. But I called Ashley right after and she was like, Oh no, she's probably just excited because this is her first Monday meal she's had in a while. And I was like, Oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. She didn't want to kill me. Why would she want to kill me? <laughs> but those pair are incredible. And I'm, pretty sure one day they're going to have a gorgeous little chick. Uh, so I would definitely recommend everyone that goes to the bio park, go check those out. Cause there was one that was in the U S may still be in the U S I'm not too sure. Um, but bird watching communities everywhere got the notice of a stellar sea Eagle over on our East coast. Yes. Aside from that, if you're in the U S you're probably never going to see these guys outside of the facility. So definitely go check them out. Mind blowing birds. And uh, I would say, I mean, every single bird at the bio park, I have a special spot in my heart for, but the last one I really want to shout out is the one we've already talked about. Maybelline, go say hi to her, go tell her that you love her. I mean, she'll, she'll love you back. Even if it's her first time ever seeing it's, it's true. She's very loving. And I have to say like, those beaks are intimidating. Um, I often joke that I'm going to, my last words are going to be like, but I loved you because some animal that I'm interacting with will, will kill me. I, I have I have had more interactions with more big, scary animals. I mean, usually in zoo settings, you know, and it's it's safe. But I'm fearless. I am literally fearless. I would I, I you know, and I just I would I would crawl in with a tiger. I mean, I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to break rules. But if, if I was given the opportunity to, I would snuggle up with the lion like, I don't, you know, <laughs> and it's 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 something like gets into my brain and it's just like, oh, everything's going to be OK. I, w- I would hug a bear like I I know logically that I shouldn't. But I also know that given the opportunity, I would. <laughs> um, and I remember with Maybelline, uh, you were like, you can pet. And I started to pet. But that beak is just huge and oh, just yeah. intimidating. And by the way, she could not have been sweeter. But I remember like I was very gently petting and I was still doing it. But I do remember feeling a little bit of like, maybe we make sure we leave here with 10 fingers. And then you're like, you can like really pet her. She's a sweetheart. I'm like, okay. And then I got into it. That was the <laughs> first time I've had elephants wrap their trunks around my arm and not cared. I have I've maybe touched a lion's face once when allowed to like you know i've way scarier things but there was something about the size of that beak that just had me slightly hesitant until you were like no john it's it's safe i promise and then i was like oh okay cool and then i gave her all the love and it was amazing <laughs> now, her beak is crazy i mean she uh i don't know if we got to see it but she loves to stampede around with all of her mice in her beak at once. So just, just imagine like nine. And th- these aren't small mice. They're medium sized mice. You know, they're like as long as my palm. And she has all nine just shoved up in her beak, stampeding around. And sometimes you kind of are like, wait, Maybelline, that's an old mouse. Let me get that out of there and get you a fresh mouse. And she will hold on to that thing like it is a, a metal tool just clamped down on something. It's so hard to get her to release anything from that beak. And even if she realizes like you're getting a fresh, good, better mouse, if you just give me this nasty old one, no chance. You have to like, yeah, I, I can't even describe it. It's, it's a force to be reckoned with. 
That's so funny. No, I didn't see that behavior, but that's amazing and adorable. I love it. <laughs> um, and actually, before we wrap up with the birds, there was one other question that I had. You mentioned Bali Starlings, and I was thinking I didn't know that name. So I did a quick Google, and I saw that it is also known as the Bali Mina, which I have heard of and, and seen, and now I know what you're talking about. Is there a particular reason that you call them Starling versus Mina, and is there any like – or is it just too – you know, either name works like Binturong and Bearcat. Uh, so I would say either name works like Binturong and Bearcat. Me personally, um, when I think of Starling, I think of the chatter that comes from that bird. So uh, here in the U.S., we have uh, the invasive species of European Starlings, which everyone might see, um, and they are chatterboxes. And when you're working with a Bali Mina, which I've been able to work with here at El Paso and uh, now at the Biopark. Uh, they're chatterboxes too. Once they get comfortable, I mean, they do not shut up. The good thing is that they have a beautiful song and a beautiful voice. So you don't <laughs> right. want them to shut up. <laughs> but for me, uh, thinking of it, Bali Mina is more of what they call them out in Indonesia because it's a more native word to their tongue. Um, they're also called Rochester, Mina, tons of different names for this bird. But personally, I just go with Bali Starling because it's the most... Mm, I guess Western civilization type of name for them, in my opinion. Cool. Makes sense. I was just curious. Awesome. Um, and with that, then are there any uh, conservation organizations that you would like to give a shout out to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one that I'm going to support locally real quick is going to be the El Paso del Norte AZAC chapter. Um, so that is where I got to do a lot of my experience here in El Paso and hopefully we'll be rejoining them soon. And they're incredible. I mean, the year that I was with them, the team that I was with, shout out to Nikki Adams at the Oakland Zoo, um, Heather, Sarah. It, it was an incredible set of officers that year, and we were able to do so much. So we raised $1,600 for the Bentena Wildlife Society out of what felt like thin air at <laughs> one point. Nice. Um, after a wildfire out in California, took out almost all of the range for the California condors that the Bentena Wildlife Society had. And they bounced back completely. Well, I, I shouldn't say completely. They bounced back quite well and now have their own little chicks of California condors, which that's always great news for anybody here in the U.S. because that's probably one of our best birds that we have here. Personal opinion, but I should be a popular. Seconded. There we go. <laughs> um. So the Del Norte chapter is incredible. They do a lot for anybody that they can help. And I think if anybody is looking to find out more about AZAC, go ahead and look at the El Paso Del Norte AZAC chapter on Instagram or on Facebook, and you're going to be able to learn what the chapters are really about. Um, another society, or not society, but another organization I'd like to shout out. It's going to be one close to my heart because of the Bali Starlings. It's going to be FNPF. So that is... Uh, uh, Indonesian wildlife society that takes care of all these animals in Indonesia that are endemic to their area and may be facing extinction. So like the Bali starling, there was only, I want to say 150 recorded in the wild in 2018. <laughs> that was the entire species right there in the wild. And they do so much amazing work. I talked with uh, Bayou, the leader of FNPF, and he tells me all the time these new numbers of how well that organization is doing, how their releases are going. And 
if you really want to save species that we don't have here in the U.S., but you want to see one day when you're out vacationing in Bali Islands or whatever you may be doing, definitely go support those organizations abroad. And FNPF is an excellent one. It's doing things for their own community out in Indonesia. Cool. So, um, you know, like, uh, yeah, I have, I've never heard of those guys before. That's really interesting. Um, you talked a lot about it and did a really great pitch, but you kind of forgot to tell us something. What does the acronym stand for? Right. So um, FNPF <laughs> is a uh, Friends of National Parks Foundation. They're out in Indonesia. They're going to have a couple dozen different FNPF, uh, Bali, FNPF, Begwan, all the different cities out there. But FNPF is the whole Friends of National Parks Foundation in Indonesia. Awesome. Very cool. Um, that's really interesting. Love it. And uh, with that said, I guess it is time. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hip. <laughs> So the one I have, you know, working with birds primarily, poop is actually not as bad as most people have to deal with. Like, Wait until uh, you start with the elephants, my friend. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. I helped out the elephant crew one day at the bio park. Whew, that's exhausting cleaning up after that. But with birds, you just need a water hose or a rake. It's done in a few seconds, right? So it's very rare that we have a bad poop story. Poop story. But... There was a bird at the biopark who uh, me and him had an interesting relationship. He's terrified of me and I was not fond of him because of his way of showing he was terrified of me. So uh, he's a buff crested buster named Ramsey. He's in with our Guam King Fishers, um, which, by the way, can I add in that uh, when you're asking about other birds to talk about for the biopark, um, Socorro doves and Guam King Fisher are two completely extinct species out in the wild that the biopark is doing a phenomenal job having a breeding organization for. Nice. I love that. Very cool. Look at that. Yeah, uh, yeah, you got some conservation right in the poop story. Poop story. Who knew? There we go. <laughs> uh, so back to Ramsey. Buff Crested Bustard lives with our kingfishers. And if uh, very few people have ever interacted with the bustard or have any idea what kind of bird I'm talking about. It's like this little brown chicken with these very thin legs and a neck long enough to be considered a giraffe bird. Like they're, <laughs> they're the weirdest looking things. And they can also jump like higher than Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> so interesting birds. And Ramsey, whenever you go in there, he's going to start off with a nice little alarm call. And it starts off with a basic pitch, just like, eh, 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 eh. and it'll get so high pitched that you think you're going to go deaf. And then he'll like, um, crescendo and go right back down to the low pitch and start right over but when you get too close to him his basic form of defense is just to poop the nastiest smelling fecal that i will ever encounter in my entire life and so every time that i'm in there hosing the exhibit he'll usually run to the other side where the hose is or where the hose isn't and you know just enjoy himself over there while i'm cleaning one side Every now and then he gets trapped in between because, like I said, he's like a chicken. He has the brain of a chicken. <laughs> so he's trying to figure out which way to go, which way the hose is going to go. And at that point, he'll decide, I am too close to this human. And it's time to scare him away using the worst smelling poop ever. And I couldn't find a way to get away from that smell one day. 
So he had done it three different times while I was hosing in there. It was probably the worst smell that I've ever had to deal with. And it's a closed room too. So there's no, you know, there, there's no open space for them to air out that poop. I had to hose an entirely second time just to get that smell out of there. And he knew what he was doing. <laughs> so, you know, bird keepers, thankfully, we don't have too bad of a poop time, but the smell can be pretty disgusting because that's also a carnivorous bird. So, whew. <laughs> Oh, that hurts. That that's so funny. Oh, I love I love the idea of poop as a weapon. It's impressive how effective it actually was. You know, right away I wanted nothing to do with him and I was ready to go running for the hills, but <laughs> I had to finish a job first, you know. <laughs> it would change it would change everything in our whole military world if we just used poop instead of, you know, guns and missiles and tanks and stuff. Exactly. And you know, it makes me wonder some days how good of a smell do Guam King fishers have? Because they live with him. Right. And, yeah, I would want almost no sense of smell if I had to live with him. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's a good time. Well, thank you so much for this. This has been a blast. And thank you for taking me around the biopark and, and letting me see all the birds. It was so much fun. Absolutely. Thank you for all you do for us out here in the zoo world, getting yeah. to spread awareness about the birds and well, about the animals we love and for some of us, the birds we love. <laughs> <laughs> and the elephants. You've got to start saying it now. Yeah, I should start saying it now. Shout out to Savannah the Elephant here at El Paso Zoo. <laughs> awesome. Have an awesome day. Thank you again. Thank you, John. All right. So that one was definitely fun. If you would like to follow Nick on Instagram, you can find him at Old Mr. Brightside. That's O L D M R Brightside. And of course, you can uh, check out the ABQ Biopark by going on Facebook and Instagram to at ABQ Biopark or by going to their website, which honestly, you should just check the show notes or Google if you want to do that, because it's a kind of weird dot gov with a lot of slashes because it's a government owned zoo. And uh, I'm not going to say it all right now. I also want to say thanks to my Red Panda level patron, Laura Shank, and also to my two new patrons, Ken Tryon, not Tyrion, but Tryon, see Ken, I can read sometimes, and Jennifer Fisk. Fisk? Fisky? Fisk? I'm going to go with Fisk. I probably should have asked, but I'm recording this last minute, so you are now Jennifer Fisk, whether that is your name or not. I'm pretty sure there's something in the Patreon terms of service that allow me to uh, change the pronunciation of your name once you are my patron. I don't know. I didn't read it. You didn't read it. Nobody ever reads them. But yeah, so thank you both for being here. And, and I appreciate y'all and all of my patrons so much. And uh, remember, friends, if a zookeeper were doing an impression of a Corvid trying to say the word credits backwards, it would sound like this. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.